Last week, we took a look at our hope, engaging gospel truth. What we're doing at doing this morning is we're, and last week, and for the next three weeks, is we're just preparing for a new series called uh, Searching for Answers, Encountering Christ. And what we're doing is we're preparing ourselves to get ready to engage our community, engage our culture, and engage one another with the gospel. So there's three things we're going to be looking at. Last week, we looked at our hope, engaging gospel truth. That is the gospel. That is the gospel that Jesus Christ has given himself as a ransom for our sins. Through his life, he accomplished all the fulfillment of the law. He conquered sin. He conquered death. And he has given to us himself. And through Christ, through the gospel, by grace, through faith, we have a pardon. We've looked at this last week. This is what we looked at last week. If you missed that message and you weren't here, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to that. And and there's a reason. It's not just that it's like, oh gosh, you really, you, you preach the gospel all the time. Yes, we preach the gospel here all the time. But if you weren't here last week, um, I shared some things that God has been teaching me about the gospel that takes it just a little bit deeper. So I really, really want you to be encouraged by that and really understand how much God loves you regardless of your background and regardless of where you're at right now. If you're in Christ, God sees you as his beloved child. He sees you as pardoned. He sees you as righteous. So that's last week. Today we're going to talk about our support, and that's engaging gospel community. Next week, we're going to take a look at our purpose, engaging gospel mission. Week four is not on there, but we are actually going to uh, take a look at the importance and the primacy of prayer in that. So please turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. What we're going to be looking at in Romans 12 is a phrase, a term. Paul uses the phrase living sacrifice. He says, in view of God's mercy, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. We're going to look at four things. Number one, what is it? What is a living sacrifice? The second thing we're going to take a look at is what does that living sacrifice require? Third thing is what does it look like? What does it look like? You'll know it when you see it, but what does it look like? And the fourth thing is, what does it lead us to? So please open up your Bibles. Open up your Bibles, and we will look at Romans chapter 12. Father, we come to you in humble dependence. Apart from you, we can do nothing. Apart from your spirit, the uh, preaching of your word is dead. Even if it's entertaining, it doesn't bring any life. Lord, so we are asking you to reveal yourself through the preaching of your word that Christ might be lifted up, that he might be exalted. Lord, that you might draw us to yourself as you lift Christ up. And we pray that he would be honored. We pray, Lord, that those who are here this morning who do not yet uh, have a relationship with you through Christ, I pray that you would call them to yourself. For those that do, I pray that you would encourage them and help them to have faith to take the next step to experience the love and the mercy and the grace that you have poured out through the giving of your son. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. Romans chapter 12, verse one. What is this living sacrifice? Take a look at the text. Paul starts out in verse 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, full stop. Let's just pause there. Paul is making appeal to you, to me, to all of us on the basis of something. What is that something? What's the text say? The mercies of God. So because of God's mercy, in other words, because of the mercy that God has already done, so God's done something, 
we're supposed to now do something. See, that's how the gospel works. The gospel is not what you do. It's what's already been done. When he says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, here's what he's saying. On the basis of the last 11 chapters, which is an explanation, the best you're going to get in all of the Bible, of what the good news of what Christ has already done is, in light of that, in light of the fact that Jesus fulfilled the law because you couldn't and I couldn't, in light of the fact that Jesus took the penalty for sin that I can't and you can't, in light of the fact that you and I in Christ are united in Him, in light of the fact that nothing, and I mean nothing, neither height nor depth, angels nor demons, the past nor the future, nothing can separate you as a child of God, adopted, fully loved, beloved, and desired by God, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ. In light of that, now you do something. See how it works? See, that's the gospel. The gospel is not what you do. A lot of people think that Christianity is God gives us a good book and he shows us how to be good. Now go do it. Yeah, there's instructions, lots of instructions. And it does tell us what goodness looks like, but that's not what the Bible is. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is Christ has done it all. Receive it. Receive it. So that's, what was, that's last week's message. That's last week's message. But now what do we do? So by the mercies of God to present. So this is, now we're doing something. Before it was all Christ doing something and we were receiving. Now we're bringing something to the table. We're bringing something to the table. So present what? What's the text say? Your bodies. Your bodies. Now the reason Paul says bodies is that that includes all of you from the top of your head to the soles of your feet, your hands, your feet, your sexuality, uh, your, your leisure, everything, your relationships, everything about you, bring it to him as what? Bring your bodies as, what's it say? As a what? Living sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Now, the original audience here are Roman Christians, most of whom are probably Jew or uh, Gentiles rather, non-Jews who have become Christians. Some of them are Jews who have become Jewish followers of Christ. So there's a mixture, but a lot of them are Gentiles. Now, this culture is very familiar with the concept of a religious sacrifice. They would offer, the Jews would offer their, their animal sacrifices. Same with the Romans. So they, when they think of sacrifice, they tend to think of put the lamb on the altar and kill it and then burn it. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul calls this, what's the modifier for sacrifice? What is it? It's a living sacrifice. So this sacrifice, what's the sacrifice? We are the, we are the, we're the offering. We're the offering. But it's not a, I'm going to die for you, Jesus. Jesus is not interested in you dying for him. What's he interested in? You living for him. Living for him. This means that you're offering your, your vocation. What do you get paid to do? I don't know. You have... You have jobs, presumably. Some of you are like, well, no, I'm, I'm a kid. I'm, I'm at home. So as a kid, what do you do as a kid? Well, I'm in school and, and, or, or whatever. Whatever it is you do, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. This is what Paul is saying. Every facet of our lives, every facet of our lives is an offering. Lord, take my vocation as a butcher, baker, candlestick maker. Take my preaching. Take my parenting. 
Take my husbanding. Take my mothering. Take my single personing. Whatever. You get the idea? If it can be done, it should be done for, for, for Christ. We present ourselves as a living sacrifice, ongoing. So I have a pulse this morning, and I have to consciously say, I'm living, I'm offering myself. Now tomorrow, hopefully, I'll wake up with a pulse. Hopefully, it's not guaranteed. And then tomorrow, I will do this again. So this is living, it's not a dead sacrifice, and it is ongoing, it's continuous. It's ongoing, it's continuous. Now, the word sacrifice, how many of you are excited about the word sacrifice? Just a quick show of hands. That's what I thought. None of you. Why? Because you intuitively know what sacrifice means. Sacrifice means you make a sacrifice. You give up something. That's the nature of a sacrifice is you give up something which is valuable to gain something which is more valuable. That's the nature of a sacrifice. Tim Keller puts it this way. I I like this. It's not pleasant, but I like it because it's true. He says, sacrifice means to put to death the right to live as you want to live. And I lost half of you right now. It's like, I don't want that. You're already doing it. You said, Brooks, it's not true. I'm not a Christian. I didn't say you were a Christian. I said, you're already making a sacrifice. Everyone, everyone sacrifices for that which they deem most important in their lives. Some of you are grad students. Some of you are grad students. You're in grad school or you're going into grad school and you are choosing a profession that requires rigorous academic discipline. Yes? Some of you are like, no, I'm an undergrad. I just came to school to drink. Well, that's, you'll be out of undergrad soon. But if, if you're here at the University of Iowa and you are you are applying yourself, you have to make sacrifices. There's things that you would want to do, leisure things that you're not gonna do because you're going to pour yourself into your studies so that you can have a future reward. You're making sacrifices. You see how this works? So those of you who are in careers, you're long since past graduate school, you're into careers, and you are, you are trying to climb the corporate ladder and you're trying to, what you value most, if what you value most is is uh, power or, or, or money or, or success in the business world, you will, not might, you will make choices and you will give up certain things, time with your family so you can succeed in the business world. Make sense? You make a sacrifice. Now, those of you who say, oh, that's not me. I value family above my work. Okay, then you will make a sacrifice and you will not be able to advance in your career the way that other people are able to advance in their career. It's a trade-off. Here's the bottom line. Every single person who's here today values something above other things and you will sacrifice for that something. Make sense? Everyone does it. Everyone does it. The difference here is Paul is saying he's identifying what we are to sacrifice for and to whom. So it's all it is is switching what I'm sacrificing for. Because you're all everybody's sacrificing. Everyone. There aren't any exceptions. Some of you are like, you don't have me pegged because I am a slothful, lazy hedonist. And I sacrifice nothing. That's completely untrue. 
in order to gain the comfort that you want as you sit and play on your Xbox and eat your Doritos and do whatever you do and not work, you are sacrificing your future. You're giving something up to acquire what you want. You, you can't cut it any other way. It's just the way the world works. And by the way, this is called worship. What does Paul say? Holy and acceptable to God. That's your spiritual worship. Everyone worships, not necessarily Jesus, but everyone worships something. Make sense? Okay, so let's keep going here. Let's keep going. So, uh, Let's take a look at verses 2 and 3. Do not be conformed to this world. If you have a new international version that is translated, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. That is, don't think the way the world thinks, but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You say, what do you mean? Well, let's go back to the verse we just took a look at. Okay, how do you read that? Let's, let's do it together. Let's just be very boring and, and very rote. Let's, let's all, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Is that singular or plural? It's not a trick question. Plural. Now, how do we read that verse? I've been studying the Bible for 30-some years since I became a Christian in 1988, and I will tell you that up until about five or six years ago, I read it the way that every American reads it. Here's how we read this. We look at that and say, well, yeah, we're a bunch of individuals. So Paul's saying, now present your, your bodies. One, two, three, four. I don't know how many people here. Each one of you is an individual. So present your bodies. I'm talking to all of you, the corporate group. Present your bodies as living sacrifices. So each of us as individuals presents ourselves as an individual sacrifice. So there's lots of sacrifices, right? That's how we read it. Is that what Paul said? Bodies, singular or plural? Living sacrifice, singular or plural? Singular. How many of you have always read that, that Paul is saying that you as an individual need to present yourself as an individual, which is a bunch of collective individuals as individual sacrifice? How many of you have always read it that way? Why? Because you're an American. That's how we read it. This is the land of liberty. I have my individual rights, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's all about me. I come to Christ as an individual. It's an individual faith. He is my Savior, and I prayed a personal prayer, and I have a personal relationship with Him, and I have a personal faith with Him. Now, by the way, all of that's true. That's not untrue, but that's not what Paul is saying. He's saying you as individuals, bodies, plural, Present yourselves as a singular sacrifice. What? Yeah, exactly. Americans don't get that. You watch the video with Wade? What did he say is true about internationals that come here? What do they value? Community. What do Americans value? Privacy. Yes? So... This is a clicker. It advances my slides. I have another clicker. It's on my visor in my truck. And that clicker opens my garage door. And because I have that clicker, I can be a block from my house and push that button and it goes up and I can pull in the garage and I don't have to get to know my neighbors. How many of you don't know 
the first names of the neighbors on both sides of your house. This just got awkward. It's like, oh, I don't. How long have you lived where you live? See, Americans are not used to engaging other human beings. We do so for commerce. We do so because we have to. But what Paul is saying, no, 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 you're, you're a family now. You're a family now. Engage one another. Engage one another. Let's take a look. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, that good, acceptable, and perfect will. For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, and here's what keeps us from doing what Paul's asking us to do. Here it is. You ready for it? Here's what keeps us. I say to everyone of you among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. See, what we need to have our minds, our minds transformed by and our minds renewed is to stop thinking individualistically about ourselves all the time because that's our MO. It's my MO. That's my natural default mode is what's best for Brooks? What would make Brooks happy? What would increase my happiness quotient? Everybody is on a quest for a happiness quotient. And that's why you sacrifice to the gods you sacrifice to is that by doing this, I hope to get some happiness by getting something. It's just, we can't help it, right? It's what we do. So Paul says what has to happen is we have to stop thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Now, when you think of that, what do you think of? Pride. Paul is saying the problem is you're too self-focused. Now, there's two different ways that can manifest itself. You can think of yourself more highly of your, of, than you ought to think in, in the sense of you look in the mirror and you're just like, man, see that guy? Awesome. Oh. Now, that... That obviously you're thinking too highly of yourself in that way. That's pride, narcissism. I remember I just got a text from a buddy of mine and we, uh, someone literally asked him, this is decades ago, someone asked him the following quote and he just, we, we were remembering this, this conversation. Someone was talking to him and asked the following, have you not Googled me? If, if you're asking someone why they haven't Googled you, You've just tipped your cards. You might think a tad too much of yourself. You just, just maybe. Just, now most, if I asked, show your hands how many of you would want to ask someone how, and be shocked if they haven't, most of you, your hands would not fly up. If I asked you if you tend to be selfish and think a lot of yourself, uh, okay. Now, some of you are like, oh, that's not me. The opposite. You would never think anyone would ever want to Google you because you don't think there's anything value about, valuable about you. And you would therefore think, I don't think too highly of myself. Mm, you think too lowly of yourself. The thing that you have in common with the have you not Googled me guy is that you think of yourself too much. See, they're, they're both manifestations of pride. In one sense, narcissism is the quintessential example of pride. But the I'm worthless and I'm horrible and I don't have anything to offer, that also is a self-focus. You're thinking too highly. You're thinking too much about yourself. Paul is saying, stop. It's not about you. It's not about you. By the way, if you were here last week, how does God think about you? Does he think highly of you? 
Yes. But let's, let's keep moving here. Not to think of himself more highly than you are to think, but contrast. Here's what you're supposed to do. Here's what I'm supposed to do. But to think of yourself with what? Sober judgment. Sober judgment. If you think of yourself with drunk judgment, you're not thinking clearly. You're mentally impaired. Your thinking will be skewed. It will be off. Sober means accurate. Think of yourself accurately in accordance with reality. Think of yourself in accordance with reality. That's, that's what Paul's saying. In accordance with realities, in accordance with if you're in Christ, in accordance with how God sees you because God has purchased you. So if we go back to last week, how does God see you? As pardoned, not guilty, because Christ has taken your guilt, and as righteous because he's infused his righteousness in you. The merits of Christ rest upon you. You're an adopted daughter, adopted son of God. God sees you as his child. And because you are a child, you have siblings. And they're all sitting around you. In fact, they were here in the first service. And they'll be here in the third service. In fact, they're not, they won't even come to this church. Some will be up the road at One Ancient Hope. Some will be on the other side of the interstate at Veritas. Some will be down at Parkview. They'll be all over. Churches all over the world. Those are your siblings in Christ. You're not independent from them, nor am I. Nor am I. That's why Paul is saying we have to have our minds transformed. That's not how we think. That is not how we think. So we're supposed to offer our bodies, plural, as a living sacrifice, singular. He's saying, become a new humanity. When you hear the word church, what do you think? What's the first thing that comes? Church. What, what, just, what is it? Church is... Here's what most Americans think church is. It's where I go. It's where I go. It's a place. It's an institution. It's an organization. There's preaching. There's singing. There's programs. There's parking lots. There's, there's all sorts of things. And, and we, see, we see church as a place I as an individual go when I feel like it. And statistically, uh, the average Christian goes to church 1.5 times monthly. So 1.5 times a month, when I feel inclined, I will go to a place. And why will I go to the place? Because I, I need some Jesus juice. You, you know what I mean. So we come to church and uh, you look for a church. And by church, I'm using the American understanding of church. It's a place. I want to go to a place which is going to provide good preaching. I want a preacher that can make me laugh. I want a preacher that can sometimes convict me and make me cry. I want to be moved. I want to have an experience. And I want, I want worship, music, that's going to inspire me uh, and, and move me emotionally. And I want programs that are going to minister to my kids. And I, I, want, I, want, to provide, I want it to provide community. If I want it, but not too much, because I don't want to be, you know, I don't want, don't want to be accountable, but I want a little bit if I want it, but only if I want it. So depends. And, and, and that's, that's what I want. And so what am I describing? I'm describing a restaurant. It's a juice bar and I need Jesus juice. Why do I need Jesus juice? Because on Monday, the world's going to beat me down. I'm going to go back out into the world where nobody loves Jesus and where it's hard. It's a doggy dog world. And, 
and I'm going to, oh, just so discouraged. It's like, I need to come and I need more Jesus juice. And I get my Jesus juice and, and then it's like after a while, the pastor, he spills the Jesus juice and he doesn't, it's not chilled anymore. It used to be really cold, but now it's not. So I'm going to go to a different place who serves better juice. Have I not described the American church experience? Is that what Paul's talking about? That's not what Paul talks about. That's not the Bible. Paul said this, or rather Jesus, in Matthew chapter 18, he tells Peter, he tells his disciples that, Peter, you're the rock. I'm going to build my church on this rock and the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. What was he describing? Was he describing a juice bar? The gates of hell are not going to prevail against the juice bar that I set up in North Liberty? <laughs> Let's go with a strong no. What is the word? When Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, he uses the Greek word ekklesia. What does it mean? It means place where they serve juice. Not... <laughs> What does it mean? It means the called out ones. It's not an institution, building, or programs. You are the church. You're the body of Christ. And yes, you go to a specific location when you come together as the church. And yeah, there's preaching and there's singing and there's programs. There's programmatic elements to it, but that's not what it is. It's just what you see happening when the church assembles on a weekly basis. So that's the American church. The New Testament church is the ecclesia. It's the called out ones. And for us to become that, we have to think soberly. We have to begin to think soberly. Okay, this is who I am in Christ now. I'm his adopted son. I'm an adopted daughter. And he's made me part of his body. Let's keep reading. Four, as in one body... We have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though we're many, we're all, there's a plurality of human beings sitting here in this auditorium right now. Yes? So we are, we are all many, but we're one body in Christ. And individually, what's he say? We're members of one another. We're members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given, let us use them. If it's prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If it's service, in our serving. With the one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in his generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Now, Paul could have listed a whole bunch more, and he does in other places in the New Testament, like Ephesians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The point is that if you are in Christ, you're beloved of God. You're forgiven. And God looks at you, as an adopted daughter, as an adopted son, and sees a beloved, righteous child, which means you have lots of siblings. And guess what? That means we're all in a family. And what do families do? They serve each other. You say, well, not, not my family, not very well. Well, that's because your family's dysfunctional like every other human be- family on earth. But that's God redeemed us so that we could become a new humanity, a new family. What does Jesus say? Jesus says in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give you, love one another in the same way that I have loved you so that the world will know that you are my disciples. In other words, when the new humanity begins to function as God's family, the world's like, they're all together different. They're all together different. You know, in the New Testament, in the first century, 
the first century, the, Ro- the, the, the Romans would watch and they would look at these accursed Christians and, and they would, one, one Roman historian said, these Christians, they're greedy with their bodies and they're liberal with their money. So well, that's a weird thing to say. Well, Romans were oversexed and they would constantly have sex with anyone and everyone. They had temples for it. Homosexuality, heterosexuality, they're always giving their bodies away. But they're very stingy with their money. They don't help the poor. These these Christians, they got this whole marriage thing and they only give themselves to one another, just husband and wife. But they just pour their money out. They take care of their poor, our poor, and all the poor. I can't figure them out. Yeah, you can't, can you? That's the point. They look different. They're loving. They're greedy in their love sexually, but they're liberal everywhere else. They're liberal everywhere else. So that's what it looks like. Here's here's practically what it means. It means that the person just in front of you and to the left that you don't know, they need you. They need you. They need you. When, When Zach up here leads worship, they need you. You say, well, Brooks, I don't have the gift of singing. You have vocal cords. Air moves past those vocal cords, causes them to vibrate, and sound comes out. That's the problem. My sound is terrible. Yeah, but when you sing, when you serve, when you worship, that word worship, it means service. Whenever you serve, however you serve, your service blesses someone else. Your presence blesses someone else. That's just the way the body works. Each of us has a And we don't all do the same thing. So he says various gifts. How do you find out what your gift is? How do you find out what your gift is? Well, I remember once a couple years ago, there was a Lifeway, Lifeway.com publishing. They offered a spiritual guest te- gift test. So you, you fill out, you get online, you, you answer a million questions, and they spit it out and says, I have the gift of puppeteering. Is that a spiritual gift? I don't know. Possibly. It's not in the Bible, but I'm, I'm poking fun at, at, in, at gift inventories. That's, those are useful-ish, but that's not how you find out what your spiritual gift is. Do you know how you, as a family member, how do you find out what you're good at? You meet needs. You meet needs. You, what, what, what are the needs in the family? Well, the baby's diaper needs changed and and mom is on the phone, and so dad's like, I don't have the gift of diapersy. Learn it. So you do it, right? And then finds out, I, I can do this. I can do this. I don't have the gift of pouring Cheerios. It's not a gift. It's just a service. Just go ahead and do it. And sooner or later, you find out, you know, I'm, I kind of like this cooking thing. Ironically, no one ever says I like the diaper-changing thing. But you get the idea. Spiritually, in the, in the, in the house of, of worship, how do you find out what your spiritual gifts are? What are the needs in the body of Christ? Serve. You say, well, what if I'm no good at it? You won't be. When I first started following Jesus in 1988, it was a teeny tiny church, Grace Community Church, is about 80 people total, one service in Coralville. And Stacy and I, brand new, still in college. I just started following Jesus. We started serving in the nursery. I'm terrified of children. And I make them cry. 
I just, I like, oh, how cute. Ah, I don't, it's, it's probably because I'm a little intense, I'm loud, a little overbearing, a lot of those things, but I served in the nursery. Next thing I did was I started teaching Sunday school for the junior high and high school kids. I don't know what they were thinking when they asked me. I'd only been a Christian for a couple years. Those kids knew more of the Bible than I did. And I actually swore in class once because I was a brand new pagan snatched out of the fire and my language came with me. And I had to explain to the pastor, you're probably going to hear from the deacons that I used this cuss word. <laughs> so, but why was I there? Because they needed someone to serve. And do you know how I found out that I could teach? Because I stepped up and said, I'm dumb enough to do it. And I haven't learned yet. I'm still doing it. You, you get the idea? Now, some, I even was up here playing bass 20 years ago. Were you any good? Not at all, but they needed a bass player. And I used to play. That's the point. Where are the needs? Where are the needs? Serve. Serve. The goal of me sharing all this is not to convict you because you're a part of the church in attendance only. I don't want you to feel bad. I want you to step into all that God has for you because you're missing out. If your version of the church is the American juice bar version, here's the deal. You're going to come for a while until your juice is warm and then you're going to go somewhere else. And you're always going to be consuming, 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 consuming. And you're going to miss out on what it means to love and be loved. And have hard conversations and good conversations where people come alongside you with the gift of mercy. The one who acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Do you know what that that gift of mercy is? It means that when you're down, I've had three meetings this week with individuals where I exercised a gift I don't possess, which is the gift of mercy. And all it means is you come alongside someone and you encourage them because they've been kicked in the gut. And that's what you do. But you can't do that if, if the juice bar experience is what you think Christianity is. It means that you invest in people and they invest in you. That's what it means. It's not rocket science. So what does it lead to? Well, let's look. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Do you know what it leads to? It leads to love. When we stop thinking more highly or too lowly of ourselves, in other words, when we stop thinking of ourselves and we think of ourselves in accordance with sober judgment, we realize, wait a minute, I'm a child of God. God looks at, he actually desires my presence. The Holy Spirit lives within me. He's given me a gift or multiple gifts and I'm a part of a family And part of a family means that I do the dishes. Part of a family means I help serve the meal. Part of a family means that I change diapers. You you see see the point? And what happens in family? You love one another. And sometimes you want to just throttle one another, but that's what a family is. And that's why family learns to love. And that's why we don't, we're not slothful in zeal. We're fervent in spirit. We serve the Lord. In serving each other, we serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saint. Show hospitality. If we continued on with the rest of Romans 12, Paul gets into, yeah, but what if your family members are jerks? There's a verse for that. Actually, there's lots of verses for that. 
talks about bearing one another, forgiving one another, and making peace with one another. But you've got to be with one another to do all the one another's. See the pattern? You have to reject the American version of a church is where I go to get my Jesus juice. It's not juice anyway. It's the wine. It's the cup of the new covenant. It's Christ. And yes, there's preaching. Hopefully it, it blesses you. But have you received him? So as we draw to a close here, how do you respond to the gospel? First step, looking back to last week, you have to receive Christ as an individual, not contradicting what I've just said the last 40 minutes. But each of you has to make a personal individual choice that the person on your right, the person on the left cannot make for you. And that is a decision to trust him. Then you step forward and you, you engage in community. But what, is, what does that look like? I want to be very clear. I ended the sermon last week talking about this. And I want to make sure that this is not ambiguous for, for all of you. Some of you know who you are in Christ. You've been following Jesus for years. Some of you can, like, like I can, pinpoint back in 1988 when I decided to follow Christ. I, I trusted Jesus for my, for my, as my Savior. Some of you are not so sure. It's, you like what you hear. Your, your heart is warmed when you hear the gospel, but you're like, uh, I don't know. I think I'm a Christian. I'm trying. If you say that, you're not. If you say I'm trying, you don't understand. So what, what, do, you, so what do I do? What do I do? Let's take a look at what Paul says. I want to avoid giving you formulas, but I will give you scripture. You ready? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Key word, confess, confess. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and saves. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him shall not be put to shame. What do you confess? What do you confess? Confess, the word confess in Romans uh, 10, it it means acknowledge. Sometimes that same word, the Greek word confess or acknowledge. Confess or acknowledge. What do we confess? Well, first of all, we confess that I'm a sinner. I make a personal confession. Back in 1988, I made a confession to the Lord. Lord, I'm going to tell something you already know. I'm a sinner by nature and choice. I've demonstrated that adequately. Secondly, I confess, I don't have any hope apart from you. None. I'm completely lost without Jesus. And lastly, I confess, Jesus, you're my Savior. You died for me. You're my Christ. Christ means anointed one. It means Messiah. You're my Messiah. You're my deliverer. Okay, that's what I confess. That's what you confess. That's what Paul's talking about. Now, here's a question. To whom do you confess it? If you're an American, and actually, if you're not, the first confession to the to whom is to God. Of course you confess to God. That's what Paul's talking about. Confess these things to the Lord. But all, and, and the other uh, text there, Luke 18, this is the Pharisee and the tax collector. The Pharisee comes before God in the temple and he says, Lord, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you that I'm not like other men this adulterer, these Gentiles, even this tax collector. I tithe, I fast, I do all these things. Have you not Googled me? I mean, I just want to thank you. 
Let's all sing the doxology to thank you for me. That's, that's what's going on. And then Jesus says, and then there's the tax collector, despised. He's out in the court of the Gentiles because he's not worthy to come into the court of the Jews. And he refuses to look up to God, keeps his eyes down and his head low because he's filled with guilt, he's filled with shame, and he beats his breast and he says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's it. That's it. So he's speaking to God. And others. You confess to others. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. If you do not confess me before men, I will not confess you before my Father. It's not just an individual between me and Jesus. It's between you and Jesus. Yes, that's where it begins. But if you are in Christ, you tell other people. You confess it to others. How many of you are married? How many of you have a ring on your your left ring finger? Why do you have that? To remind yourself that you are in a covenant. Where'd you get said ring? I got mine standing in front of a bunch of people. And I proclaimed my covenant relationship to my bride. She did the same. Now, was that proclamation, that confession, that acknowledgement, is that what caused Stacy to love me and vice versa? No. But if you have it, you confess it. To whom? The body. Where have you seen those first three, three statements? Those are what we ask someone when they get baptized. They're, and the, the, the Acts 2, verse 38. Peter preaches on Pentecost and they say, what do I have to do to be saved? And he says, repent and be baptized. Oh, I'm confused. Does baptism save me? No. Did my marriage ceremony cause my covenant relationship with my wife? No, but I celebrated it with everybody that was there. That's what baptism is. Paul's saying in Romans 10 what Peter's saying in Acts 2. Confess. Confess to the Lord. Little kids over here is getting it because every time I say confess, he's saying confess, confess. Yes, (laughs) confess. Confess to the Lord. Confess to one another. That's what it looks like. And so if you are not sure where you stand, but you're like, okay, I want to take that step or I want more information, take this little red card out. It says needs prayer and say, I want to know what that means. I want to go forward. I want to make that confession. I'm scared to death. I'm not sure if I'm going to do it anytime soon, but I'd, I want to. Let us know. Write your name down. Write your email. However you want us to contact you, and we'll contact you. So that is Romans 12.1, receiving the mercy. But how do you engage in community? Real quick, we'll land the plane here. Serve. Start by serving. That doesn't, it's not what saves you, but now that you're part of the body, Start serving. Say, Brooks, I don't know what my gifts are. Going back to the previous point, you won't find out what your gifts are until you start looking for needs and saying, how can I fill them? And over time, you're like, I, yep, I really enjoy this aspect. Nursery, not so much. I think I'm going to stick to teaching. Or teaching, not for me, but I love kids. Um, I, all sorts of things. We have needs with children's ministry. We have needs with hospitality ministry. We have needs... We have needs coming out of our ears. There's no shortage of things to do. And since you're a part of the family, as part of the family, the disposition of our heart should be what needs done. 
How can I help? And for that, I would just ask you to take the blue card. I think it's, nope, scratch that. Well, this side's blue. The other side is tannish. Learn about serving. Learn about serving. Let us know. Yeah, I'll offer myself. I'll step up. Show me what needs done. And there's some suggestions there, different things you can let us know. So serve. Then connect. Connect. You're not a part of the body of Christ until you're connected with others in the body of Christ. Someone who knows you well enough to know what's going on in your life, where you're struggling. And you know them well enough to know what's going on in their life, where they're struggling. So you can be a mutual encouragement to one another. Some ways to get plugged in and to start to get to know one another on a, on a more intimate level is to attend a Thrive class, which start up. And you can find our Thrive classes there. That's our Christian education. It's a smaller group. There's interaction. You can get to know people a little bit that way. Also, Bible studies, prayer groups. You can go to our events page on the website for those. And in the fall, there's going to be a bunch of new community groups which are going to start up. And when those are open, you can find those on our page on slash community. Lots of different ways. Lots of different ways. But the most important thing is just go before the Lord and say, Lord, all right, I don't have everything figured out, but I know I need you. Have mercy on me, a sinner, and show me how to get connected because I don't want to live the American dream of pursuing my own goals apart from your will for me. I want to be a part of the family. I want to be a part of the family. So as I close in prayer, uh, Pastor Josh, our executive pastor, is going to come up, give you an update on some uh, some things that he shared last week, and uh, then he will dismiss. Father, we thank you for your grace. I pray for that person here, maybe multiple people, Lord, who they have yet to confess their need of you, to you or to others. I pray that you would move them to start with you and then give them the grace and the strength and the boldness to to just proclaim their faith to others. Lord, and I pray that you'd help people get plugged in so that they could be encouraged, so they could find out what their gifts are, so they could be an encouragement to other people. And Lord, we pray that your name would be exalted, that you would be lifted up, and that you would be worshiped on high. In Jesus' name.